pure joy to be able to open up God's word with you and uh, just praying and, and trusting that God will use this retreat to really grow you guys spiritually. Uh, just one thing to, uh, to get out of the way. Uh, Perhaps you have noticed that I have these goofy looking bandages on my ears. I recently got a very minor surgery and uh, just was born with these cysts on my ears and had to get them chopped off. Uh, wasn't bad at all. Uh, they put me to sleep for the whole time. So last thing I remember, I just remember the oxygen mask going on. And then I woke up and I was better. Uh, so I had my friend drop me off at the surgery and I said, okay, man, I need someone to drive me home because I'm going to be under anesthesia and I can't drive home. And I was like, I need you to promise me one thing. You will not take a video of me while I am anesthetized. And he said, that is something I cannot promise to do. And so I said, okay, just go home. And then I, and then I had my mom pick me up. Good old mom. She's not going to put me on YouTube. Thank you, mom. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to this time with you guys. Uh, this retreat's going to be amazing. Uh, I, I love every retreat that I've been a part of. Uh, you guys are going to have a ton of fun. A lot of the, the competition has already begun. Uh, as of last night, you guys already started having fun. Uh, you guys are already starting to make memories. And I look back at my times at these camps and retreats and uh, some of my very best memories have come from times like these. And some of my best friends I either made at retreats like these or I strengthened my friendship with them in a major way at times like these. And so I'm looking forward to how the Lord's going to be able to do that for you as well. And then in a spiritual sense, uh, I mean, these times have been just catalysts in my growth because uh, you guys know you're, you're away from it all, right? Uh, no homework, uh, no chores, uh, nothing to distract you, just this focused time of looking at your own heart and seeing where you stand before the Lord and uh, how you can grow in your love for Him. And so this is going to be great for fun, for excitement, for relationships, and most importantly of all, for your relationship with God. Uh, one thing I want to do to add to some of the excitement and fun, hopefully, uh, is I want to spice up the competition a little bit. I don't think the other speakers are doing this, but I'm going to add to some of the competition. You guys are all on different teams, and uh, I have an additional kind of side competition for you guys, just with the high schoolers, and uh, I'm calling this Kairos Got Talent. <laughs> Friends, do you have talent? <laughs> oh, so humble, so humble. If you have an impressive talent, we're not doing a talent show, but come show me. Come show me your talent. I'll be with my kids too. They'll help me judge. Can you sing? Can you dance? Can you juggle? Can you draw something very creative, artistic? Can you flip a water bottle? Can you make a trick shot in basketball? Uh, you can do a group collaborative thing as well. You can uh, force your leaders to join you and do like a group act. So if you have a talent, come show me. And uh, the top three acts will receive a prize. Uh, not only that, I have uh, permission from uh, Gavin the Game Master himself 
to award points as well. And so first place is going to receive 100 points for their team, second place 50 points, and third place 25 points. Uh, here are the, the individual prizes too that you don't have to share with your whole team. Brought them here in my backpack. So third place, you're going to receive one of my favorite candies of all time. Pack of gummy bears. All right, gummy bears for third place. And to take it up a notch for the second place, I have the mega gummy bear. The mega gummy bear. I don't know, they put it on a stick or something, so it's like a gummy bear lollipop, but that is gotta be the biggest gummy bear you've ever seen. And it's red, my favorite flavor. But for first place, gotta take it up a notch as well. The five pounder. Here, take, feel that, feel that. Oh my God. It's nice, right? Yeah, pretty heavy. Got some heft to it. <laughs> hey, you guys are the figure skaters, huh? Yeah. yeah good job, yeah. 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 yeah, I got talent. Yeah. Yeah, you guys do have talent. Yeah. I need a full routine. Oh, yeah, okay. well, pa pass it around. Feel the heft. Feel the heft. <laughs> so that gummy bear uh, is 51 servings. And uh, can you read? Can you read the back? How many? How many? How much sugar is in there? Oh no! Nineteen grams. Nineteen. Yes. Nineteen times fifty-one, and that's how much. Yeah, it's not like a pound of sugar. So yeah, somebody's mom is gonna hate me after this retreat. Uh, but yes, all right. I'll take. I'll take my gummy bear back. My five-pound gummy bear. Seriously, the wrapping is gonna break. I sure. Yeah, the wrapping's already starting to buckle a little in the back. Okay, so first place, five pounds of gummy bear and 100 points to your team. So uh, this will be cut off right before breakfast tomorrow. So try to get it done today, because I gotta tell the games people uh, who got the points. All right. So yeah, any any talent you have, uh, again, my eight-year-old, six-year-old, and three-year-old will help me to judge. So might be something to keep in mind. What would it be entertaining for the kids, and uh, that might get you some points with them. All right. Well, today uh, we're gonna go over. Uh, we're gonna dip our toe in this this theme that we we have. Uh, God's love. Uh, it's a great theme. Uh, I can't think of a more important topic to discuss. But I wonder what your first reaction was when you heard that the theme of this retreat was going to be God's love. Were you excited for it? Uh, I wonder if there was maybe at least a part of you that thought, oh, okay, typical. Been there, done that, heard many sermons on that before. Uh, I think I got that one down. Uh, it's just not that exciting of a topic. And I think that's the tendency for, for those of us who have been around the church for some time, that we feel like we've gotten past this, that we've graduated this, and quite frankly, hearing about God's love, again, is something of a yawn in our souls. Uh, but I hope that this weekend uh, you won't find the topic of God's love something boring, uh, something dusty and old and uh, just heard it before. But rather, you'll understand that God's love is something that we're constantly learning more of. And it's not just something to study and something to learn, not just something for your head, 
but it's something to experience. God's love is something that should move your heart. And maybe it's been some time since God's love has actually moved you, since you've actually experienced God's love. And so I hope that uh, taking three sermons this weekend will really do that for you, that, that you'll be refreshed with just how amazing, how awesome it is that God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to be crucified on a cross for you. So today, uh, as we just get started on this topic, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to do the sermon that we were supposed to do last night and begin there. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And here we're going to get a front row seat into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to see up close and personal what exactly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Let's read that. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But... God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this section of scripture, the Apostle Paul answers the question, what's so great about the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. And today, we're going to see Paul explain how the gospel is the greatest news you've ever heard. The greatest news you've ever heard if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. What's so great about the gospel? We're going to answer that question three ways. Three answers to the question, uh, what's so great about the gospel? Number one, it satisfies the most desperate need. And that's found in the first part of verse 6. Let's read verse 6 again. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel satisfies your most desperate need. Your greatest need in this life is not straight A's. It's not getting into that dream college. It's not being popular being well-liked. Your greatest need is not friends. It's not a more robust social life. It's not getting that guy or that girl to like you, uh, to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's not respect. It's not money. It's not more likes on social media. And it's not the newest iPhone. Your greatest need, your most desperate need is to be forgiven of your sins. This is the most desperate need of every human being. Now notice the first thing in this passage is that we are called weak. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that we're unable to understand spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2.14. It means we're unable to see the kingdom of God or enter into it, John 3.3-5. It means we're unable to seek after God, Romans 3.11. The Bible speaks loud and clear, everyone, everyone has sinned and God will not leave the guilty unpunished. And the worst part of it all is that you can't do anything to save yourself. You are completely unable to save yourself. You are, as this verse calls you, weak. You're weak. When I was a kid, I was only about five years old, my family went on this vacation to Canada. And a part of this vacation was going to this huge indoor water park. Well, at the time, I, was, uh, I didn't know how to swim, and so uh, all day I was just supposed to stay with my mom while my dad and my older sister got to go off and go down the water slides and go in the pools and all that. And I just thought that was super lame. I was super jealous of my sister. And so at one point, as a little five-year-old, I decided to sneak off. And what looked really appealing to me at the time was the wave pool. Uh, For those of you who don't know what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's this big pool of water, and on one side there's this machine that uh, generates waves. It pushes the water up and down so that kind of simulates like you're at the beach. Well, uh, as a little five-year-old, I, I go inside, and I know I don't know how to swim, and so I don't want to like dive in or anything, but I, but I walk in until the water's about at my knee level, and I quickly run away. Ooh, super excited. Oh, I went in the water. I'm a bad boy. I ran away from my mom, and I went in the water. This is awesome. But I'm like, hmm, I can do better than that. And so I go in again, this time until the water's at my waist level. And then run away, super excited. Oh, I went all the way until the water was up to there. And pretty soon I'm playing this game with myself. How, how far can I go in? I go in until the water's at my chest level, and then my neck level, then at my chin. Then pretty soon I have to tippy-toe just to keep my head above water, and it's there where I pushed it too far. Pretty soon this wave just knocks me off my feet. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But I couldn't feel the bottom. I'm good, I'm good. I'm not good. I'm not good. Couldn't feel the bottom. I started drowning. And at this point, my mind is racing. Okay, what did my sister do? She went like this and she kicked her leg. I can do that too. Nope, doesn't work. I try my best to to keep my head above water. I try to pedal back to the shore. Nothing is working. I try to get uh, get some air, but instead of just gulping down water, I'm like, okay, this is it. It's been a good life. (laughs) Five full years. And and I don't know how long this goes on. It seems like an eternity. But finally, a lifeguard has to jump in and save me and bring me back to my mom. Well, since then, uh, I have learned how to swim. Uh, Not necessarily because I wanted to swim, but out of necessity. Because I never want that to happen again. I remember that feeling of literally drowning, being completely helpless. Well, understand that... That's us in a spiritual sense. We are drowning spiritually, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Uh, We can't pedal our way back to God, no matter how hard we try. Ephesians chapter 2 
says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It doesn't get more helpless. It doesn't get more weak than being dead. A dead body cannot do anything. If you were to ever go to a memorial service and there's a casket up front and you knocked on the casket, guess what's not going to happen? The body in the casket is not going to get up and start walking around and greeting the guests. Hey, how are you guys doing? You guys having a good time at my memorial? It's not going to happen. Dead bodies can't do anything. Dead means dead. And so we are dead spiritually. We cannot meet this desperate need for salvation and forgiveness on our own. We are corpses when it comes to saving ourselves. We, we can't even take a baby step toward God. We can't lift up one pinky finger in reaching out to God. We are completely incapable of saving ourselves. Now, the gospel is not about saving yourself. Now, the gospel is not about trying to be a better person. Stopping this sin or stopping that sin. It's not about trying harder to do spiritual things so that God will show you favor, so that God will accept you, so that God will love you more, so that God will let you into heaven. It's not about praying more minutes of the day. It's not about reading the Bible every day. It's not about making sure to go to church more. Uh, It's not about stopping your cussing. It's not about uh, obeying your parents better. It's not about uh, stopping your your bitterness and hate toward other people. Uh, If if someone were to ask you the classic question, right? The classic question. If you were to die today and you went to heaven right at the gates there and Jesus asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If your answer is because I did, and you name a good work, name something that you did in this life, it's the wrong answer. Because this is not about good works. This is not about doing something to earn salvation. If you think you can save yourself, guess what the the Bible will call you? Weak. Weak. Can't do it. You can't do it. You are too weak to save yourself. You need to be saved. You need a savior. And more specifically, as we'll see in the next point, you need a sacrifice. The second answer to the question, what's so great about the gospel? It requires the most costly sacrifice. This is found in the second part of verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If you hang out in Christian circles for any length of time, you're going to hear this one phrase repeated over and over again. And rightly so, because it's a very important phrase. It is simply this. Jesus died for you. And I heard that growing up in a Christian school and a church. And I think I knew what it meant to a certain extent. But this phrase really came together for me. It really came alive for me when I understood that that little word for was speaking of substitution. Substitution. Jesus died instead of you. Jesus died 
on behalf of you. Jesus died as your substitute. Jesus died the death that you deserved. He died for us while we were ungodly, as the end of verse 6 says. Now, to be ungodly means that we were anti-God, that we were in fierce opposition against God. And you might be thinking, whoa, 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 that's a little strong. I don't think of myself as in fierce opposition against God, but it's true. Uh, We're all born naturally with a stiff arm in God's face. We're all born naturally not loving God, but being against God because we're born naturally for ourselves. We want to do what we want in our own way whenever we want. And we're okay breaking the commandments in the Bible in order to get what we want. And so, yes, we're all born ungodly, anti-God, against God. And that's why we need Jesus as our substitute who will stand in our place and absorb the punishment for our sins. As I mentioned, I I grew up going to a private school, uh, a Christian school. And I remember in third grade, my favorite teacher of all time, Mrs. Sue, uh, gave us a lesson on substitution that I'll never forget. Now, a little bit of background here. I got to explain Robert. Robert was a fellow third grader in my class, and Robert was that kid. You know, that kid, dirty kid, smelly kid, weird kid, and above all else, bad kid. I mean, he would just talk incessantly. Uh, You would, uh, the punishment, you would get your name written on the board. Robert, you might as well just have left his name up there every day. Robert was disruptive in class. He'd give the teacher a hard time. Uh, He would bother the other students. He would bother me. He would poke us and tickle us. And then, you know, we would get mad at him. and, And then the teacher would get mad at us. So Robert was just the worst. At one point, the teacher put all of our desks on one side of the room in groups of four and Robert on the other side by himself, just so he wouldn't mess with the other kids. Well, one day, Mrs. Sue's teaching, and she says, hey, I have an announcement for you guys. Uh, I, I had this brand new set of markers that I was going to use today, but, but I can't find them anywhere. Have any of you seen them? No one says anything. She said, well, did, just, did someone maybe take it on accident? No one says anything. And she said, okay, well, if, if someone took it, just, just let me know. Well, the whole day goes by. It's toward the end of the day now. Mrs. Sue is up there teaching, and she stops all the sense. What's that? Right, Right down the center aisle. And she walks over there, and as she's walking there, we all look toward this one backpack, and sticking out of the backpack, all of us third graders are like, oh, the markers, they're there. She walks over, pulls them out. Whose backpack is this? Robert's. Of course, we knew it, Robert. And Mrs. Steele goes up with the markers and said, Robert, because you took these, I got to punish you. And so you're going to have to stay after class today. And immediately, Robert just breaks down. He's like, I, I, I can't stay after class today. Uh, my, my dad's coming to pick me up. He's going to get super mad if I'm not out there waiting for him. And she's like, no, no, no. You, you stole the markers. And so 
you have to be punished. So you have to stay late after class, after everyone leaves. And, and Robert starts to cry. Uh, he really starts to break down at this point. Like, please, please, don't make me stay. Don't make me stay. I can't stay today. And Mrs. Sue says, fine. You don't have to stay late today. If someone else will stay late instead, would anyone like to stay late and take the punishment for Robert? Silence. No one says anything. And me, I'm like this punk third grader. I'm sitting in my chair and in my head, I'm thinking, Mrs. C, Mrs. C, please. <laughs> There's no way. There is no way that I'm going to take the fall for something that I didn't do. And I'm especially not going to do it for Robert. And of course, no one volunteers. And it's, it's really toward the end of the day now. And Mrs. Sue gives the grand reveal and says that uh, Robert had actually not stolen the markers, but that she and Robert the day before had planned out the whole thing to give the class a lesson in substitution, in what it would mean to take the punishment for someone else. And then she went on to talk about how Jesus did that for us. And uh, I guess that's just something you can do in a Christian school. <laughs> Well, ever since third grade, I've never forgotten that illustration because I've never forgotten that feeling of sitting in my chair with, with absolutely no inclination to take the punishment for someone else, for something that I didn't do, and especially for someone as annoying and wicked as Robert. And it still sticks with me to this day because that was a good illustration for what Jesus did. He was punished for something that he didn't do. He sacrificed himself for someone else who had committed sins. And the sacrifice that he made, the, the cost that he paid, was not small. It, it was not cheap. It was his own life. You see, all of our sins were, were not thrown out the window, swept under the rug, uh, simply pushed aside. But all of our sins were nailed to the cross. In the greatest act of love in history. And that takes us to our third answer to the question, what's so great about the gospel? It surpasses the best human love. Verses 7 to 8. Verse 7, let's read that. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 7 describes the pinnacle, the high point, the very best human love has to offer. Giving your own life for someone else. But this verse is also realistic in stating that you wouldn't just die for any person. You would only die for a good person. It starts off by saying one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Now, the righteous person and the good person in this verse are probably talking about the same person. So even if someone was righteous, upright, good, kind, generous, 
Only then would you scarcely, maybe, perhaps die for him or her. So that's the best human love has to offer. Dying for another person, and that person better be good, and you're not exactly going to be lining up to do so. In the history of our country, there have been 20 attempted assassinations on presidents. You might remember this if you've taken, if you've taken a U.S. history class, certainly if you've taken uh, APUSH, as we called it, APUS history. And you guys know the president has those Secret Service agents, right? Those guys uh, in the suits, often wearing sunglasses, looking cool, looking buff, looking strong, looking like they're packing heat, because they are. And they are trained to take a bullet for the president, right? If someone aims a gun at the president, they're to jump and throw their bodies in front of the president, take the bullet for the president. And, and the thing is, those, those men are willing to do that because the president is an important man, a man who is going to do a lot of good in the country. Now, now this has only happened four times where, you know, just the dramatic Secret Service, oh, no, you know, it's only happened four times. Uh, Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy threw his body in the line of fire to protect Ronald Reagan in 1981. And then back in 1950, three different officers took bullets that were aimed at President Harry S. Truman. And I wonder if you had the opportunity, would you do the same? Now, let me, let me switch up the analogy a little bit. What if the gun is pointed at your best friend. Would you take the initiative to step in front and die for your best friend? Would you? Nah, this is kind of tough, right? Gotta to think about that a little bit, but uh, I have no doubt that some of you would because you love your best friend that much because this is the kind of person you are. Now, what if the gun was pointed at a complete stranger. You never saw this person before in your life. Would you take the bullet then? Uh, you know, hey, uh, sorry, sorry, stranger man. Uh, I had to think about it for my best friend, and so I think um, you're you're out of luck. Let me switch the illustration one more time. What if the gun is pointed at your worst enemy? The person that has hurt you the most in this life. Would you give your life for an enemy? As ridiculous as that sounds, this is what Jesus does for us. That's why his love surpasses, exceeds the best human love has to offer. Christ died for us while we were sinners. Not when we were his friends. Not when we were just strangers to him. But when we had sinned against him personally. When we had broken his commandments. When we had hurt him with our wickedness and sin. When we had looked him in the eye and said, I'm going a different direction and I'm breaking your commands. That's when he decided to lay his life down for us. 
Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, where, where are you at today in your spiritual life? Maybe you're still kicking Jesus away. You still got that stiff arm in his face. Oh yeah, you, you might come to church. You're here at retreat. But you still refuse to accept his forgiveness. You refuse to, to surrender your life and, and follow after him. You, you have not actually once in your life sat down to do business with Jesus. And all this church stuff, you're just playing a game. But understand that who you are in this passage, you, you are the ungodly. You are the sinner. You are the weak. But you're the ungodly, weak sinner that Christ died for at the right time. When our need was the most desperate, he loves us this much. Now look at the word shows in verse 8. God provides evidence for, he demonstrates, he puts on display, he proves his love for you. God said he loved you and he proved it by putting his son on a wooden cross for you. And so the, the nails that were driven through Jesus' wrists and ankles, the shame that he endured, the mocking that he endured, the crown of thorns that was thrust on his head, him breathing his last breath, all scream to us this morning, Jesus loves you. And this is the greatest news you could ever hear. This is the greatest love. And this is such good news because it means that no one is beyond the reach of God's love. Because no one deserved it in the first place. Do you guys get that? No one is beyond the reach of God's love because no one deserved it in the first place. This passage applies to everyone in the room today. No one is beyond God's reach. God demonstrates His own love for everyone. And, and I don't know everyone here yet. It's still the beginning of retreat, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you more. But uh, I know that you're, you're a human, and that means that you're a sinner. You are a son or daughter of Adam, just like me. And we're born with this sin nature. As David said in the Psalms, in sin, my mother conceived me. And so we're born sinners, and by our nature we sin, we, we sin. And I know that you have done wrong things. You have you've broken the commandments of the Bible. You have disobeyed your parents. You have disobeyed your teachers. You have had thoughts in your mind that if we could project onto those TVs, and everyone could see it, you would immediately call your parents and say, we're moving to Colorado. We're getting out of here because my life is ruined with this youth group. That's true for all of us. Uh, we all have that level of sinfulness. And uh, perhaps because of that, you think, well, well, because of the things I've done in my mind behind closed doors, 
stuff that no one has seen, stuff that I regret, stuff that I wish so badly I could take back. Because I've done those things, God could never love me. And if that's you, I just think that's the saddest thing in the world. And I hope that, th- that you won't leave retreat thinking that. Because what we see here is that no one is beyond the reach of God's love. No one is beyond his reach. Because no one deserved his love in the first place. It's not like there's certain people in this room that they, they sort of earn God's love and his love was able to reach them. But you, oh, you sinner. You're, you're way far out there. His love can't reach you. No, none of us earned it. None of us deserve it. This is our desperate need, every single one of us. You don't see any exception clauses here. God demonstrates his own love for us, except the really bad people. Except the people who are sporadic in their church attendance. Except the people who committed this sin and this sin. Oh, this really bad one. No, God, God demonstrates his love for us. For us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe you think that a Christian is someone who is just that, that prim and proper person that you see they got their act together, walking around at church that have cleaned up their act. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And you could never get there. But friends, guess what? Christians are not those who have cleaned up their own act. Christians are those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Those that have confessed that they cannot save themselves, but have received forgiveness from Him. So go back to the question, the classic question. If you were to die today and met Jesus at the gates of heaven, and He asked, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you in? Because I tried my best. Wrong answer. Because I did what, what I was supposed to do. What, what my pastors and my leaders and my, my, my parents told me to do. Wrong answer. Because I stopped those sins that I knew I wasn't supposed to do. Wrong answer. And we keep going down the list. You see, if if you answer the question with, because I, 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 it's always going to be the wrong answer. If it's about what I have done, you're not getting in. And I hope you know after this sermon what the right answer is. Why should I let you into the gates of heaven? Because Jesus died for me because Jesus paid the price of the penalty for my sin because Jesus meets my most desperate need and so it's not because I, I, I but because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is because of what Jesus has done and we don't have to work And I hope you find that freeing. I hope you find that this really makes the gospel good news. And I hope you see the absolute, absolutely mind-blowing and amazing love of God in this message. The love of God that we're going to explore more for the rest of this retreat. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, I am 
freshly amazed by uh, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ that uh, he did not deserve. Uh, but he gave it all. And not just a part of himself, not just his time or some of his energy, but uh, he died a gruesome death for us so that we wouldn't have to. And uh, we know, God, that this shouts to us just how much you love us. But Lord, uh, we confess that so often your love grows cold in our hearts that we get uh, too familiar with it. And we don't think about it as often as we should. And we're not amazed by it as much as we should be. And so Lord, I pray that uh, looking at your word, this retreat would uh, rekindle the fire that we would experience your love like never before. And this would propel us to love you back and to love others. Uh, that this would help us to grow spiritually. Uh, help us, God, to, to, to have soft hearts that are receptive to your word, which tells us that we are deeply, deeply loved in the gospel. And I pray that this love would absolutely transform how we live our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris. It is wonderful to have you. Um, we're going to go into small groups now, so y'all can split up in here or be anywhere.